Episode 50, with costume designer and creative director, June Ambrose. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Calmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today's conversation is with the architect of style, June Ambrose. June is an award-winning creative director, stylist, costume designer, and entrepreneur who has built a career creating culture-shifting fashion and style moments, particularly in the world of hip-hop. Using fashion as her language, June teaches us the vowels and consonants of style so that you can say what you really mean to say. Born in the Caribbean and raised in the Bronx, June displayed an early interest in fashion. The consummate thespian, she took the Shakespeare quote that all the world's a stage to the next level, honing her penchant for story and character development as a costume designer in high school, a skill that would come to serve her well. Disenchanted with her early job in finance, she made a swift exit to a record company, but never forgot that dollars and cents, well, had to make sense. Armed with a theatrical imagination and the financial literacy to stay afloat, June was unstoppable, going on to create some of the most legendary style moments in hip-hop. That iconic Afrofuturist rubber jumpsuit in Missy Elliott's music video for The Rain, that was June. Jay-Z and Foxy Brown in Feelin' It, that was June. Puff Daddy, Alicia Keys, Enrique Iglesias, Will Smith, Mariah Carey, June, 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 June. You get the picture. Her book, Effortless Style, just celebrated its 15-year anniversary, and the always-evolving Miss Ambrose is now creative director for women's basketball at Puma. In today's episode, we explore how to find your authentic intelligence, why reinvention is the key to longevity, how to use style to get what you want, and the power in building a brand. Let's start a conversation about today's episode over on Twitter and Instagram, at Black Imagination. And if you don't want to miss an episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Oh, and you can also now watch this episode by visiting our YouTube channel, The Institute of Black Imagination. This and more content is over at IBI Digital at blackimagination.com. And without further ado, the iconic June Ambrose. Well, let's get started. Um, sure. Miss, Miss June Ambrose, welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to get into this conversation. I know we've been trying to hop on for a while, um, but you are you are an architect, really. You are an architect. You have systematically um, not only worked on like the uh, 
like the facade, right? Like what one can see, but like you've also built like a sustainable structure and we'll get into how you've done that. But what are you actually, who would you like to dedicate today's conversation to? Um, My mother, because uh, the way this conversation will start, the way I started was, you know, through her. And it's because of her, I am who I am. And it's, she's the subtext to everything that I do in life, you know. And when you think about, like, you know, as a mom, I'm a mom now as well. And, and the best gift I can give my, both of my children is to the, the gift of them just being themselves. I bought them into the world, but they don't belong to me. And they are uniquely their own individual selves. And I think the biggest gift my mother gave me was she didn't alter me. She didn't change me. She made me feel like I was enough. She didn't say, you know, I was very precocious, had a very big personality, and she didn't hush me. And I think there's something about that. I know it's hard for parents because you think that there's this playbook on how kids should be and how parenting should be, but I'm raising kids in a different time. But my mother has such foresight to understand that, you know, to, to, to raise two girls in a you know, single-parent home and be the primary provider, it, we felt so rich with love and 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 she was so giving you know with her time that it it really shaped me in so many ways Mm. and what's her name yurdis yudora ambrose we call it dora the explorer yeah yurdis um yeah from the antigone greek play from um ah beautiful yeah well, Yurtis, this one is for you. So, June, you've had an incredible career, but what are you excited about right now? Um, I'm really excited about how this generation of young, you know, people, I'm talking, like, you know, teenagers really never used to have to really have a care in the world. But this generation of, like, think about it, right? When we were teenagers, we were too busy just doing us but yeah i have seen a shift in the giving of how they how they share their time their opinions how how you know how powerful they they are they recognize that their voices matter and what they're doing with them is very impressive and they're shaping culture earlier than we did at least my generation did because we didn't really start shaping culture until we were in our adult years. But teenagers recognize that they can be influential and of influence because of social media, because of the climate and the access. I'm proud of how um, generous they are with their, with their time. And I know it's not just my kids, but I think we're, they're, they're just, I think we're starting to see because when I was a teenager, I was very selfish, you know. And most of us, that's normally how it is. You just kind of, it's about me, 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 me. And then as you become an, an, a young adult, you start really kind of realizing it's not all about you because you're taking care of other people. So, you know, and to admit that you were selfish at some point in your life is, uh, is for some people, like a revelation. And be like, I'm not selfish. I'm like, no, it's a natural progression because you have to care, you know, you were cared for and then you have to kind of care for yourself 
figure it out. That's when we're trying to figure it out. And then we're caring for others. Um, so I'm really, I'm, I'm, it really inspires me um, how young people are really taking an active role in social activism, in their own personal um, self-equity. They recognize that, you know, relevancy is currency. They recognize that um, to, it's in to be smart. It's in to be educated. Um, they want to feel and look different. Whereas before they might have wanted to kind of blend in. But the new generation of teenagers, they are so inspiring. And yeah, I just love watching them discover themselves. It reminds me how infinitely curious I was at that age. And I continue to tap into that teenage self. I always ask my young self for permission to not be afraid, to take chances, to take risks, because also at that age, you did things that you wouldn't do as an adult because you have too much to risk. So I'm really inspired by the, you know, the curiosity of them and the chances and risk taking that they take and, and the audacity to be different. It's a beautiful thing. When I was young, I felt like I was the only one that was different, you know, um, growing up in the Bronx. And now it's what you want to be. You want to forecast, you want to discover as a teenager, they'll tell you, I don't want the trend. I want to discover it. I want to, you know, the, at least the progressive teenagers who are really like going to be like, we, we rule the world. That's how they, that's how they think. You know, I mean, June, you just said, said it all. Like, I mean, there's so much to, to, to backtrack on. Like, you know, one thing that you said that I found really fascinating is that I give my teenage self permission, right? Like that you go back, that you have a conversation with your teenage self. Who was the teenage June Ambrose in the Bronx and what was she seeing, right? Because if you're in constant conversation with her, I'm assuming you also are aware of who you are today and how your your point of view back then shaped you. Yeah, I was very curious, um, and I was unapologetically, you know, bold with my expression. Style was the way I story told from a very young age. It was the way that it took me outside of my environment and allowed me to dream and allowed me to shape the narrative how I wanted people to to, to see me. I did that through, and I, it doesn't take. It's not about the label. It's about the voice that you give something that's so mute. Style is and has always been um, my, my conversation. Um, and people think the style is just something so tangible as the cloth that you wear, but it's the way you go about getting what you want. And we don't talk about it as much, right? Right? It's like, and I always, I, I, I leaned into that because I didn't need to be the prettiest girl in the room, but I needed to be the most confident girl in the room. And that really kind of gets you through, cuts through all of that. So no matter what anyone would say to me, I loved me. I knew that I was enough. You know, even in the times when I felt insecure about something, whether it was physical or whatever, I was still able to navigate through it because I knew that I don't need to, I need, I could be the popular girl from just having a great personality. I didn't need to be the pretty girl in the room. I needed to be the, you know, I, I was okay with being cute. 
You know what I mean? (laughs) And when you think about what cute is, it's like when you think about people when they do something, people are like, oh, that's cute. It's not physical. It's spiritual. And cute is like, you know, what the spirit does. It's like dances. And like, that's how, like, you know, I talk. Even as an adult, I'm like, I want to be cute. You know, it makes me feel young. It makes me, reminds me of my young self. And I remember being able to get what I want because I was really um, very, um, I was always very tender about my ask or I was very kind of humble about my ask. And they would be like, oh my gosh, she's so cute. And she's just so humble. I have to say yes. So my mother would always say, you get definitely more with sugar than you do with shit. And I'm always like, you know, <laughs> and that's just the motto that I follow. Just be nice. But you get a lot. Done. Yeah, but but exp- expand on that. How can style help you get you what you want? It's, you know, it's like character development, you know, as a costumer and someone who's worked within theater and understands character development, understand how important it is to convey the journey that this person has been on from physically just the physical sense of looking at them and knowing who they are. Like you can look at a character from the way, the juxtaposition of how the pan is dropping or the color that they're wearing or the way, what something is paired with, it tells you a little bit about their journey in life. You get a, you get a sense of like, if you ever people watch, you'd be like, oh, she lives in da-da-da, she's from this, oh, this person's not, you know, this person doesn't feel great about themselves or this person's super, super confident. Oh, she's real, she's feeling real sexy. Even in, you know, even in a pair of sneakers and, and some boyfriend jeans, she's sexy. So it's like seeing the translation of and the body language and understanding like how to build that character um, is something that I've always found to be very fascinating. It's something that I've found ways of manipulating, um, understanding composition and body types and what really works to make you feel tall or how to make you feel slim or creating, you know, I, I tend to play with, you know, space and, and, and scale. And I love, you know, things that are away from my body because it creates this sense of emptiness and that hollowness makes me feel smaller, whereas something tight makes me feel restricted and it's overtly too, it just, I feel exposed and naked because that's skin to me. Um, so it's just like you go through these different phases and I discovered all this. It's not to say that I've never worn tight clothes because when I was in my younger younger years, I used to think that a braless moment was sexy. Or I would think that, you know, like, you know, I, I, or I would think a tight dress was sexy. And then I discovered myself and realized that is not sex, sexy is not what the clothes are, you know. And it's like, and to you, and when you be really discover yourself as a woman, and I always try to tell young women that I meet, that I see, that are kind of the conversation is not what they think. They think they're saying one thing, but it's coming off as something else. And whenever I get a chance to give, when I'm asked for my opinion, I always try to lean in in a way that's very clinical, so that I am giving you constructive and productive, you know, criticism. You know, I met a young lady one time on a set of a, a music video, and she was a hairstylist. But she looked like she had just come from, it was 9 a.m., like she had just come from the club, like a, like a total, total stripper. Like a, I, this is, it felt very streetwalker to me. But she had such ambition. She was like, this is what she, was, she said to me, oh, Miss June, I want to do this, I want to be this, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, have you ever thought about articulating that visually? Because I could not see it because I was so distracted by 
the blaséness and of, of you not really putting yourself together. And I'm not saying that you have to wear something that's expensive, but to be kept is, is, is to me, the basics. Like, that's just the basics, right? And I said, you don't look kept. And I ran into this young lady years later, and she thanked me because she said you were... It was something that a mother would say, a friend should say, a sister could say. And you, we are our sister's keepers. Like, we are each other's keepers. I would want someone to... And I did it very gently, and I said to her, I'm saying this with love. I'm saying this because I see you and I care about where you go from here because you're sharing with me your dreams and aspirations. You trusted that with me. So I felt like I owed it to her. Um, and there's a clinical and a psychological, you know, experience with dressing and style and people that say, oh, I don't like taking photos. And you know, as, a, as someone who is a maestro of capturing people's true essence and, and your eye is, as a photographer, as an artist, you know when someone says, oh, I don't like being photographed, you have a different way of capturing them. So when I meet someone who says that to me, I say to them, you're thinking about the wrong thing. You're thinking about the camera and not about the emotion, about the feeling and the experience. Step up just for a second, be still and think about how you feel, tap into a sense memory. When you are in love, what does that feel like? It's just, and it's like, that's spirit, right? So when we think about people who are no longer with us, we think about how they made us feel. Even though if we can't really put, we can't see their face, it's the, it's the feeling that we tap into. So I use that same emotional relationship when it comes to dialing into a look or a style or discovering yourself, because that's truly what we want to do when people are like, oh, I have no style. I said, you haven't, you're looking at it in the wrong way because you have to really ask your young self or ask the person you want to become, what do you want to get out of this moment? And when I'm in my closet, I have these conversations, you know, like, how do I feel today? Like, you know, what am I, who am I going to come in contact with? And today I have on like, you know, some basketball, Puma basketball shorts and an oversized sweatshirt and then combat boots. And I'm like, you know, we had a, it was a big team meeting and it was a kind of, you know, very corporate-like setting, but not corporate-like setting. It was like, it was kind of war room. And I knew that I wanted to feel, um, and I was presenting my looks for the show for the first time and to the team, finally sharing them with everybody, see that, let them know where I was in the process, getting ready for the show. We're 27 days out. And... They could look at me and, and understand that I, when I put these looks that they were looking at, that I had a connection, that I understood and could articulate who that consumer was that we were trying to speak to. And it's, that is like my process. So I wanted to become the conversation that I was putting together, the narrative that I was putting together for the show. I wanted to have a little bit of that. So when I presented it and they're looking at me presenting it, they get it because now I give it, I've given it a voice. So not looking at still photography, they're looking at expression and spirit. And that is something they get to experience through me before it hits the runway. Mm. And, and we've, it's so funny, 
an amazing to be having this conversation with you because we've known each other for a long time. Yeah. And you have seen me through multiple iterations. Yeah. Um, and, and, and vice versa. Um, but this evolution of like June Ambrose, like, you know, I met you when I was shooting street style for Essence. Um, you know, I mean, we won't even go there. But like now you are... But you did it with Sasha V. You did it with Sasha. Oh, you weren't just shooting street style. You were very particular. You were very sectorialist <laughs> and you were, it was the way you did. I used to watch you. I used to be like, he is something. It was the way you made the decision of who you were going to shoot. That was one, because you weren't just shooting stuff. And that was a curated, you know, moment. And then it was the way you wanted it to be captured. You were very particular. And if it didn't feel right, you would adjust the subject. Come here, do this. I remember that. I remember watching you do that. And I just thought he's such a star. So uh, kudos, kudos to well, you. Thank you, babe. But like, you know, going through this, this route of, you know, styling, working in hip hop, you know, essentially creating the visual language of black music in the nineties. I'm just going to say it um, to that now being like creative director at Puma. Who, who did you have to be like to become right? The creative director, like to, to constantly shift and slightly pivot and evolve and expand. Um, what had to happen? I had to give up some other things to, focus and dial in to something that I felt was going to be the next chapter. Um, and also a space in which I felt like I could be of service as a designer and as a costumer and as a stylist, wearing all three of those kind of hats. Cause I, I put them in different, I put them in different silos. Those, that skill set. I feel like it's, you know, the ability to costume design and character develop and design something and then also to style it, it's like a designer having a merchandising skill set. Then having the understanding of costume design gives me the ability to build the character, which is now the consumer. So applying all of those ideologies and all those learnings that I've learned over my almost 30 year career in working within music and fashion, being able to equate that to how do I capture the consumer the way I captured the consumer using celebrity muses as my, you know, as the calling card for retailers, because that's really what music and pop culture did. It influenced fashion, it influenced retail, it influenced the narrative and the culture. It was so culture shifting. And I wanted, I, I recognized there was an opportunity for me to shift the culture in this space as well. And I knew that I could, being able to be part of something that you know that you can have that kind of impact is really where you want. That's where you look. That's what you look for. You know, you could you, you look for white space is what they call it. Um, you know, and and the opportunity was available to me because of my relationship with Jay Z, because of my relationship with Emory Jones, um, and when you think about how important it is to nurture relationships and to care for and respect, you know, relationships, it's because you never know where you're going to end, on what side you're going to end up, right? 
away and how your brother can be your keeper and how you're, you know, like how we can help each other in a sense. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's it. That's how we look at it. So when I when I spoke to, you know, Jay about this coming on board, um, he asked me why. And it was the answer in which I gave him that was all he needed to hear. And what was it? I, you know, I said exactly, you know, in terms of I felt like there was an opportunity for make for me to make the impact that I made within music, um, mm-hmm. um, within hip hop culture. Um, and I was um, and I was like, just give me a shot. Um, mm. And he was like, I, I have no, you know, he definitely he didn't. He believed in me. And. That's really all you can ask for someone is like, just give me a shot. Like I've always just asked for a shot. Like I just asked Puffy in the beginning of my career when I did the first music video with him, just give me a shot. Like, you know, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to do the work and show you. And when I came on to Puma, it was right as the pandemic, we were going into lockdown and I had I had a responsibility. I was tasked with launching women's basketball for the brand. And it was a huge task because when you think about, you know, that space, there is no customer that we could really identify. There was nothing that had come before that I could say, okay, we're leaning into this customer. I had to use my AI, my authentic intelligence to imagine who this customer, this woman could be. And, you know, life is a sport. You know what I mean? And I play to win. So I equated that same kind of energy to the basketball conversation. What does the off-court moment look like? That these are women, not just athletes. And just really dialed into the humanization of something, a sport that's so alienated in a sense and so underserved. And I wanted to amplify that. And I said, I said, I'm not a ball player, but I don't have to be to understand as a woman what their needs and desires and who that consumer could be. So being able to tap into that, we had a really successful launch um, and the relationship continues to grow. I'm working in other categories for the brand, not just with, um, with you know, within the basketball BU now. Um, and culture has started to shift. And I'm working on this big project for them now. They're returning to, well, they're showing New York Fashion Week for the very first time. And I've been asked to creative direct and design and work with them on, you know, on this project. And that's a huge responsibility because what I want to achieve hasn't necessarily been done for them as yet. So I feel the weight of that the same way I felt the weight of working with you know, young black men and women who were starting off their careers, who were signed to record labels, who didn't necessarily want to maybe just exploit them and not see them. And I had to nurture their their image and likeness and their blackness and also shape um, the narrative to where we can grow as a culture and as a community. And that it's no longer just a black thing, but a, a popular thing. And, um, and and you look at street culture now, you look at street fashion now, it's a global phenomenon. Every major high fashion brand has leaned into street and street culture. This is a culture in which my career was rooted and grounded and built on. 
You know, my career was built on the backs of people who look like me. And that I am eternally grateful for that opportunity, for that, for, for them to allow me the creative freedom to trust me in the way that they did. Um, you know, I'm, I, I don't take that for granted. And the relationships that I continue to have with those same artists that I've worked with over the years, there's something to be said about that. Um, you know, so I, the good thing is I, I, I still love the idea of costume designing a tour. I still love the idea of maybe playing in a music video. I don't have the time, but I still love the idea of it. Um, I will still do it for certain people if the projects are right, creative directing and, and costume designing is always something. I like to be able to look at projects and make my own decision about them. You, you know what that's like for people to just assume that you wouldn't be interested, but you'd be surprised at the things that move us. So I always like the opportunity to be presented, you know, the chance. Yeah. And you mentioned, you mentioned the 90s and some of those challenges. Um, take us back there. What were you up against in working with these young men, you know, kind of caught between you know, a life that they were living and record labels that didn't look like them, that were trying to use them in ways. Take us back. What, like, what were you up against? What were you walking into and what were you shaping for them beyond just their image? It was definitely a man's world. Um, it was like, you know, the boys club was like a locker room. It was very little. You had to be really, really, you had to have big energy. I call it a BDE energy. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like you just had to. Have we'll it. put that in the show notes for you guys. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like you just you had to be super confident and direct at that time and fearless by all means, and you also had to be prepared to not ask for permission. High fashion didn't invite us, you know. In initially, we weren't, but we also didn't ask. You know, I, I didn't come into the business thinking, oh, I need to get into this big fashion house in order to tell this story. I came into it like, okay, this is what I see in my head. I want to do a big blow up suit. This is what the director Hype Williams is talking about. I want to do shiny suits. I'm from the Caribbean. Shiny suits is the shit. This is what we into. This is what I'm bringing to, you know, taking sportswear silhouettes and bringing luxury fabrics to them. I didn't have to ask for permission for any of that. There was no blueprint for it. It is because of the obscureness and the audacity of what we were doing. It 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 garnished the it, it literally garnished garnished the attention of garnered the attention of a lot of these fashion houses. And but it wasn't like we were like, oh, we can't get this done without you. I was making couture pieces. I mean, it wasn't a Paris fashion atelier. But it damn sure worked out for what we needed it to be. And it was couture in, in, in the American sense of every word. Um, it was made for that person's body. It was custom, you know, fabric. Some things I treated. I was making stuff out of all kinds of things that weren't traditional. So, and that blueprint was, when I look back at what's happening now, it gives me, it makes my heart so full because... It was none of it was in vain. 
and it is mm. it's still to be relevant almost 30 years later is currency and i have to give i'm not going to wait for someone to give me that compliment i'm going to look at myself in the mirror and say you did good and good things happen to good people and i always mm. say when things happen for me and to me it's because i deserve it i worked for it it was supposed to be mine and when it doesn't happen i say it's okay it wasn't for me and it doesn't define who i am so you know i try to live my life in a way that that the universe the universe can reward me at every turn um that i can look at my family and my dear close friends and know that um uh, and people that i'm just meeting and know that my intentions are pure and and that i want to take people along the way with me because that's how i feel is the only way to be to receive is to give so that's just bible for me it's just what my mother taught me how she was she was the statue of liberty you know to my entire family and when we all came over from the caribbean she was who received everyone and the young men and women that i've ushered into this business i received them whether they were coming from the ballroom or different corporate jobs or on the streets trying to find their way i received them i gave them the opportunity to um to discover something that wouldn't be so easy to discover because it wasn't marketed towards them you know what i mean i i found the opportunity and the opportunity found me So you have to I always say carpe diem, you know, you always have to know, pay attention. I always tell people pay attention because opportunities sometimes are right in front of your face. And you got to know when to shoot your shot. So ironically, I'm in a I launched women's basketball and I've been shooting my shot since 1999. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's pretty obvious, right? I think that there's this um, you know, external, you know, fabulous stylist but you are keen you are keen you're a keen businesswoman you're a strategist um and you also brought that to the way in which you style and styled um you know these incredible musicians that we know right so it wasn't just you putting them in you know Tom Ford suits but you were also teaching them how to be their own brand like you were teaching them like the business side of things like how to actually move beyond and expand behind uh, expand beyond like a music career like how did you do that like and and what was your thinking behind that at that time i mean this is the 90s well we are the ceos of our lives i've always felt that and as someone who's an entrepreneur who left <laughs> investment banking and went after their entrepreneurial endeavors and started my own company in 1994 i've been incorporated since 1994 in business and I'm proud to say that because you know financial literacy is was the foundation of me sustaining myself as a as a as a female owned business. And because of that, um I think it afforded me the opportunity to not just grow as a brand but understand how important branding was. Right? So it's Where do you see people I say oh where do you see yourself 10 years from now and I don't all I didn't always have it figured out but I did know that I was going to start this is was going to be my starting point and it was going to I was going to come in with a certain 
level in which, you know, what I was asking for, I needed to look the part, I needed to speak the part, I needed to be able to articulate the part, and I also needed to deliver the service for what I was asking. So if you're gonna ask for a six-figure, you gotta do six-figure work. Some people get lucky, they don't have to do the work. I had to do the work. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I was very strategic about it. I recognized that my brand was, that was where all my collateral was. You know, it's like, you're as good as the last job, one job attracts you to the other. Every little opportunity was gonna be a big opportunity. The smallest jobs I treated like that was doing something that was so paramount because I knew that that was gonna take me to the next and the next. And I knew that that was how I was gonna grow, you know, my brand. And then I also wanted to be very distinctive about it. And I always wanted to be very, and I wanted, I was very curious. I wanted to read and learn and, you know, I didn't go to design school, but I read every, you know, books about design and color theory. And I understood costuming from working in the theater um, because I studied theater. So when I didn't get the role, I was in the costume department. So I, I learned a lot of the trade and skills from being in that environment as an aspiring actress. But also as an aspiring actress, I learned how to play the role. And sometimes that is super, super key to getting in the room. And that's what I did. I mean, I always, you know, when I would work with artists who were very unsure about if they could pull something off, and I said, won't you become the character to remove yourself from it for a second? and become the character. Now, you as XYZ name may not wear this, but this character, he could definitely pull that off. Now, what is the context of this character? Where does he come from? And I would give them all of the things that this character could be. And we artic just articulating that will give them context that they needed to become. Whether it's like Al Pacino, if you think about like, you know, early music videos, we did a lot of gangster moments. Like, what is that? Like, you know, actually talking about, you know, thinking about the references were really helpful in articulating some of the storytelling, you know, whether we were gonna have a scarf over the neck or whether the suit was gonna be, you know, a soft shoulder versus The first suit I designed for Jay-Z was, before I even put him in an Armani suit, before we even got to Tom Ford, it was a suit that I designed off out of a linen yellow fabric. We were shooting in Jamaica and I wanted something that looked like the sunshine. And we wanted it to, I wanted it to feel like kind of like Scarface, you know, this big kind of drug dealer went off to another island to, you know, to, to carry in the coke kind of energy. And it was just the way, the easiness of the way the suit fell and, you know, the hand on it and stuff like that was part of like the character and the storytelling and, you know, developing that piece was meaningful. I remember shopping for the fabric and touching the hand of the cloth and knowing, okay, and throwing water on top of it. Oh, he's going to sweat. What is that going to turn into? All these little nuances and things that I, and if I wanted something, if I wanted to dull down a white shirt because it was too stark for the camera, I would speak to my DPs all the time. How is this being shot? You know, what, what lens are we using? Like, you know, what is, you know, what are the, you know, color palettes and tones we need to say for? How are you transferring this film? And these are like really important clinical questions that, when you look at some of the music videos I've worked in, that made a difference in how things translated. So when people just say, oh, she's a stylist, and I'm just like, oh God, you know, I have to give myself just a little bit more credit because I went about it in so much more. It wasn't just like, oh my God, I love this dress. It's so sick, put these, this pocketbook with it. 
And I'm not taking, I think stylists are incredible and I am one, but it's not all that I am. And it is, I think naturally when the veil was lifted, styling was like, and you think about artists like Grace Coggington and some, and Patty Wilson and you know, these women are incredible stylists. You know, like I'm a total fangirl of, you know, their contribution. Um, but I think that um, there's layers to everything that people do. And I like uh-huh. to, I don't like boxes. And I just feel like I, I, always, uh-huh. like, I struggle with like people's just like, well, this is what she is. And whenever uh-huh. I feel like I'm being put in the box, I start to shift. And I'm like, oh, okay, uh-huh. I don't want to do that anymore. Don't call me that. Because I don't want to be defined by someone else's opinion of me. You don't get to tell me what I am. I, you know, I should be able to make that claim. It's not fair that you get to give me a title. I didn't apply for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I'm, I own my own company. Earlier. I should get oh, to say I'm a CEO. I should be able to say that. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. You, you mentioned something earlier, and I think this gets to it, but you mentioned something, your AI. Yeah. Your authentic intelligence. What is authentic intelligence? You know, being yourself, not feeling like you have to conform because you're in a particular room and, you know, just authentically just saying something that you know is true to you, that you really, that, that you believe is the right thing for you and for that moment. Um, being able to also know when to retreat or render yourself um, something that feels like, you know, um, natural. Like, you know, when you put something on, it just doesn't feel like, doesn't feel like you. And you're just like, this isn't authentically me. Or like, you know, when I'm, so I don't do partnerships with brands that, that don't feel authentic to me. Cause like, I, I don't drink. I've never had a drink in my life. So for me to do a partnership with a liquor brand would be very unauthentic to me. So I think authenticity is super important. I think that people can see through that, even on social media, because people are now narrating or getting an impression from you from our social platforms. We are the editor-in-chiefs of that space. I'm mindful that to be authentic is how people will truly get a sense of who I am. So when I meet people in the streets that follow me on social, they're always like, oh my God, you know, you're so, I'm so glad you are like you are on social. And that's how I know that my authentic self is coming through. Mm. And that's the biggest compliment you can give me though. (laughs) Um, You know, at least one of them. You know, you, <laughs> I think that so many of us, and even myself included, really struggle with finding their personal brand, you know, finding who they are. You know, we spoke earlier about, you know, one, character development, right? And how one wants to become and how one can use style. But, you know, you also talked about like, when I put something on and it just doesn't feel right, you know, that, that tells me that there's, a, that there's a conversation you've had with yourself for a very long time. And I find so many of us are kind of like out of touch with that. How does one begin to really develop uh, a conversation or relationship 
with oneself and then create that into a personal brand? I think vulnerability is the first word that comes to mind. Because when you're discovering yourself or when you're discovering something new, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's about yourself, period, you are the most vulnerable because you are allowing yourself to feel something that is new or that may be foreign Uh and you're evolving um, in that moment. And sometimes it's a little bit scary. You get butterflies Uh and it's the butterflies that I wait for when I'm doing things and experiencing things to to know if it's right for me. It's just that little, you know how people like, I felt it in my gut. Like that's a real thing. Uh, it's not just an expression. It's like it's a re- like it's a real thing. Um, and I think that I'm constantly looking for ways to reinvent myself. For one, I'm a Gemini. I get bored really quickly. I don't want to get sick of me, you know. So it's like it's like, and I'm always like, so you know, there are a couple. There's two. There's two really important things that I tell my kids. What other people think about you is none of your business. And, you know, (laughs) um, oh God, I just lost what the second one was. Um, It's at the top of my tongue. Other people think it was none of your business and it'll come to me in a second, but I hate it because it was a good one. I hate that it went out of my head. (laughs) It's okay. But uh, there's another question I've been dying to to get into. What what is your spiritual practice? Mm. Um, well, I I believe in a God. I believe in a higher power. I believe in meditation. I believe in being still. I believe in taking, I believe in saying, I come first. Um, self-care is one of the most important ingredients to self-preservation. Um, I believe in batter, you know, power down so you can power up. And I love wellness. I'm super big on tapping out, you know, and taking care of myself. I just feel like when I start to feel run down, I power down. I'll go get a Reiki session. I'll go and get, you know, some really great healing work done on me. Especially like, you know, I'm coming in contact with so many people and so much energy. And I I, I, I consume all of that. And sometimes I, I, I carry it and I hold on to it because I have to sometimes navigate around it or fix it or know how to read a room so that I can create a different atmosphere so that things can be done and work, we can be productive. I have to sometimes Uh shift the air, but in doing that, it takes a lot out of you. And you don't realize your healing power or the power that you have until you start to transfer it over to someone else. You know, like, you know, some, there's, this work that we do, you know, um, that we don't even know that we are doing sometimes. And when I discovered that I had the ability to make someone feel, whether it was from touch or something that I said, um, that shifted the energy in the air in the room, you, it changes you, you know? It just, it, it just makes you take pause and then you adjust on how, so when you when people like, you know, I, I, I'm very careful about the energy or the people that I'm around and I'm very curated. And it's not about 
quantity, but quality. And, and maybe that's the 51-year-old June Ambrose, but I think I've always kind of been like that. I've loved my tribes. I love leaving a little bit to be um, curious about, you know? I'm, I, I like to think that I'm a pretty open book, but there's always something that you, like, you know, like you said, I've known you for so many years, but we really haven't had a conversation. And that's really how most of us move. You know, people are like, oh, this is my best friend, this is my friend, really? You know, like when you think about like what you share with friends who become family and how vulnerable you feel with those relationships. And if I don't have that vulnerable experience with you, can I really call you my friend or can I call you my acquaintance? Doesn't mean I'll re respect you any less or admire you any less. Um, but you compartmentalize the relationship a little bit differently. Um, I've, I've been studying French for maybe too long. And <laughs> recently, like what's interesting this time around, I'm actually learning English by learning French. And in French to say I'm friends with someone, you can't say I'm friends with someone. You say I'm a friend to someone. Ooh, I got goosebumps. Total shift, Ooh, right? Yeah. Because then you're like, wait, who am I a friend to? I, listen, right? Because I one is about collecting someone else. I've been like, I'm not a good friend. <laughs> I'm like, please pick one. I, some people like, like, if I meet new friends and they're like really counting them, I'm like, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not that good of a friend, or I don't have the capacity. I like you. You're great, but pick someone else. Like I'm like, I'm like. This way that we can maybe, when I do have the capacity, we could be friends. <laughs> but like, it's a re big responsibility to care for a friend. Uh -huh. And don't get me wrong, sometimes I look at like friend groups and I'm like, friend goals. I'm like, oh, I'm kind of like, that's a nice crew. You know what I mean? I love watching friends. It gives me, to me, it's like watching a great television show. Like I love watching people with their girl crews and their cliques. And I, I just enjoy watching it. Like it's something about it. Is that weird? That's kind of weird, but I, I don't know. I just no, no. We're I we're, we're kind it. of similar. Yeah, I feel yeah. Like, I kind of I'm kind of like mm, must yeah, be nice. Must um, be nice, exactly. <laughs> but like you know, also like we're we're maybe on the other side of 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 a global pandemic, and I know in 2020, um, you also lost your mother, um. What was that process like of having, you know, you're also working as a creative director, right? Like you're launching something large, right? So, you know, you are in the public, you are working, and then there is a very personal moment that happens. How do you and how does one negotiate grief in the midst? Oh, I love that, negotiate grief, because there's so much to unpack there. When my mom passed, I was, well, she was, she was sick for a year. So we, you knew the clock, the clock was like ticking. Do you know what it's like to have a countdown on, on watching like a clock go for, you know, the love of your life, like to see that, knowing that time was running out. And I made myself very available. I did nothing but care for her. I was there, I was present because I knew that I couldn't get that time back. Then it was also, I had to make the decision. It was the On the Run 2 tour. 
that I was asked to, 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 to do. And I knew that I could not be in Europe with her being in the condition she was in. And because it was interesting because my mother was so selfless and she was physically, my mom passed away from Alzheimer's, complications from Alzheimer's, but she had, she had, she had done all she could do in terms, she just was ready to expire. She physically just didn't have strength. But what she did do was the timing of it. It was like she passed before, two weeks before, three weeks before I was supposed to leave to go to Paris to start working on the tour for two months. I was gonna, we were gonna start there and we were doing all the rehearsals and everything there, prepping everything there. And I, she passed away, we laid her to rest. I went home a couple days. My family gave me permission to go. They knew that it was what I needed to do and what she wanted me to do. And that's how divine she was because she would always say, no, 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 go, go to work. You have a job, go. Because she knew as someone who had her own business that every time that phone rang, I had to go because that was, that was the job. I didn't have the luxury of, if I didn't work, bills didn't get paid. Like that was just not the luxury I had. And, and she was just so like, great. She was just so gracious and supportive about that. And I felt like this is what she wanted me to do. And you said something about asking for permission to grieve. It was the most out of body. It was the, honestly, I say that those five days preparing to lay her to rest was when I grew up because I was the baby. And I felt like an adult for the very first time, oddly. And because my sister was like, my older sister, she did everything in a sense. Like she was, she was one that was always like, we were latchkey kids and she was always like responsible for me. And I felt like I had to take care of her and just do what the big sister would do because she was also very depleted. And I grew up in that moment. I did things that I never thought I would ever have to do and, you know, and handling stuff. And, and I was, but it was such an out-of-body experience and I had to give myself permission to smile again. You know, you, when you lose someone and it's the greatest loss to lose a mother, you can't, it, to me, there's a mother and a child is just no greater grief. A parent, a parent, father, mother and a child. And I, and I remember the first time like I was in Paris and I was like, I laughed. I felt so guilty for laughing. I was like, is it too soon? You know, and I would just have grief attacks every, like literally I'll be like in front of my client and just bawling out of nowhere, just trigger, like, uh, like just grief attacks. And thank God I was with clients that were family and they cared for me allowed me to, to grieve, they supported me, they were there for me, they helped me through every, you know, every up and down. And, and at the end of the tour, um, they looked at me and said, this was the best work that you had done. Uh. Like, in some t- like, wow, like this was grand. 
And I just remember just weeping because I knew that it was because of my angel mother. I had a whole new, I felt, I look back at pictures from then and I'm like, who, who? I, I looked exactly like my mother. I had morphed into her. My face was gone. I, I wasn't eating. I had lost so much weight. I was, but I looked exactly like her. And I was, I was just kind of, I had literally a new lease on life because I was now carrying her. And I knew that if I was her wildest dreams before, then now I was going to take her along with me. And every country that I visited that time, that year, um, I put a lock. I left a piece of her in every country. And because she didn't get to travel like I traveled. And, I, and it was just something that, and it was interesting because people kept saying, oh, you're going to feel her. You're going to feel her spirit. And I was like, it's such bullshit. I was like, I don't feel anything. I was like, she's not here. I was so confused. I was like, I didn't understand what, I went to South Africa and I was across from the, 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 the place where the first man was found of all mankind. It was like this space and I was right across from it at this antique shop. And I went out, I just, I don't know, I got emotional again out of nowhere. Went outside on the patio. A big gush of wind came from across the mountain where the first man of all mankind was discovered. The wind blew. And that is when I felt her spirit for the first time. And it was, I oh still got goosebumps. It just, and now, and then I understood what they meant. But they will appear when they are ready, when you are ready. And that's what she did. Mm, mm. Mm. That is a beautiful place to wrap. Miss Ambrose, I could speak to you all afternoon. Um, and I look forward to our next conversation. Um, but before I ask my last question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you. Um, acknowledge the incredible like presence and like worth ethic and generosity that you've shown I mean, I could just speak for me personally. Like, I remember those days when I would be out there, February, cold, you would get out of the car, you would see me, you'd be running to a show, and you would slow down so that I could get my shot. And that's like a personal testimony in just in a small way in which, in which I know you touched um and helped people evolve and create and see themselves, like see themselves maybe before they saw themselves. And that is, that's a gift. That's a ministry. That's a healing. And I just want to like, thank you and acknowledge you for that work um, through the lens of aesthetics. Amen. Um, <laughs> so, so, so our, our last question is, uh, if you had everything at your behest, what is the world you imagine for the future? Um, just some, you know, equality in a real, not sense of a quota check the box way, but in a real normalizing the idea of us feeling inclusive, it not being a thing, but it just being. Um, I wish that 
that when you are considered for a job or considered for an opportunity, it's not based on who you who they feel that you relate to or what <clears throat> box you check or what. But just because you're good at what you do and that you that the opportunity is something you had worked for. I still think today we are still checking boxes. We're still being seen as there's a color and quota. And, you know, race is still being is very, very compartmentalized. Um, I look forward to the day that it's just we get to live amongst each other. You know, that Indian movies aren't just for Indians and, you know, Spanish movies. You know, it just, just feels like we normalize the inclusivity in a sense because we have these inclusive moments, but we're still putting them in particular boxes. So how inclusive is it? If you're only, you're, you've partnered with me to speak to this audience not speak to the audience that really needs to get to know me and us to break through that, you know, those stereotypes. And that's because of, and the stereotypes are based on ignorance. So in order for us to know each other, I shouldn't be, my sisters and brothers know me. I should be speaking to the other side so they can understand and get to know me and normalize that. And we're still compartmentalizing marketing and everything. And I think that that affects everything. So I, I look forward to living in a world where, and also I think with the pandemic, um, we're, we've learned to be a little bit, we've adjusted a little bit to caring about other people other than ourselves, just a little bit. Um, and we realized what the message there was, like, you know, um, some people missed the message and some people totally got it. Um, I totally got it. Um, so I look forward, to, I, I, I love when every day feels like a Sunday, you know, where you say, you check on your neighbor, you know, where you feel like, where church is where you're sitting, you know, it's where you walk, it's where you talk, you know, that to me is a religion that everyone should subscribe to, caring for others and the people around them and being kind and courteous and giving. And giving could be simply a word. Good morning. Good evening. You look beautiful. How are you feeling? These are little priceless things that we all have taken for granted, but rediscovered during a time when we were asked to really check ourselves and reconnect. And we were all isolated and we would check on each other. And we were calling and we were, I'm thinking of you. Normalize that. Let's continue that tradition. That's what I'm hopeful for that people don't just check on me on Instagram, that they actually <coughs> check on me and say, hey, I was thinking about you on my mind. I know, you know, just little little things. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is a world I look forward to living in. And, you know, and I find myself in from time to time. Well, June, from one theater kid to another, all I can say is bravo. Thank you. Bravo. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Thank you all so much for joining us today for this conversation with the legendary June Ambrose. When she said that style is the way you get what you want, whew, bars on bars. What was one of your favorite Juneisms? 
Let us know your thoughts over on Instagram and Twitter at Black Imagination. And be sure to check out this conversation and others at blackimagination.com and at our new YouTube channel, the Institute of Black Imagination. You know, getting to where you want to be is not so much about dressing for the journey, but about how you want to feel when you get there. Stay curious and keep dreaming.